All right, we got two NHL games on ESPN Plus and Hulu tonight. The Avalanche visit the Devils 7 Eastern. Then the Oilers look to tie the record for consecutive wins with 17 as they take on the Golden Knights. Special night of hockey coming your way tonight. Meanwhile, it is a special day today because our friend Mr. Oh. Hembo and I are proudly announcing the follow-up to our New York Times bestselling book of last year. Our new book is called Got Your Answers, and it is available as of today for pre-order. It will actually be available in September. Here's the only problem this book is going to create. What we do is we take the 100 greatest sports debates and we settle them once and for all. The answers to the 100 biggest and most debatable arguments in all of sports. The only concern we have is that once this book has been read, there will be nothing left to debate. It's done. There'll be nothing left to argue about. Yeah. So it is called Got Your Answers. It's available for pre-order today. Jeff, I think you will take great issue with a great many of the things that are said in it. Oh, I'm, I'm in. And I'm actually, in. one little sneak for you, Jeff Saturday <laughs> makes the book. Oh. Jeff makes the book. Really? It is called Curious. Got Your Answers. Embo, and oh, by the way, you want you want one for you here? Yeah. You know what it features? No. 100 sneaky Hembo trivia questions. Oh. Hembo has a sneaky trivia question for each of the 100 debates How about that? that are included. I like this. I look forward so again, to the it. book is available for pre-order now. Let's Anywhere go. you get your books, you'll get it in September and let the debates begin. Right. Meanwhile, let another hour of Get Up begin. We are live from the seaport. We're brought to you by Grey Goose. We are fired up and ready to go. T-minus five days and counting to the Super Bowl. Our game is called Who You Got? Lewis, who you got to have more receiving yards? Travis Kelsey or George Kittle? That's Travis Kelsey. Why? Because he's primary option number one in the passing game for Patrick Mahomes. And they know without him having a big game and without him getting double-digit targets, they're probably not going to win this football game. Now, they're not going to all be deep shots down the field. But Andy will create different ways in, in order to get him off the line of scrimmage clean, get him working in space. And then from there, you know him and Patrick just ad lib and play a little backyard yep. ball now and then. So for sure, this is Travis Kelsey time. <laughs> See if he throws up that heart celebration again. Graziano, more rushing yards. Isaiah Pacheco or McCaffrey? I'm going to go with McCaffrey. It's a tough one. I don't feel like I can be as definitive as... Uh, like, for example, someone might be if they were writing a book called Got Your Answer. But I think McCaffrey, you know, McCaffrey, the better player, I, I think a bigger part of the game plan for the 49ers. I, I, this could go either way, but giving McCaffrey just, just going with the more dynamic dude. He could have some yards in the air as well, perhaps. And Jeff, who will have more touchdown passes, Mahomes or Purdy? I'm going Mahomes here. And again, I think part of it goes to CMC. I, mean, I think if you're, the, if you're the 49ers, you're going to be handing that thing off as much as you can. I think you're going to put the ball in Mahomes' hands if you're the Chiefs, whether it's through Kelsey, receivers, Pacheco, you name it. However you can get the ball out of his hands. He seems to do the right thing the majority of the time. So let him touch it as much as possible. All right. So we're counting it down. And again, last night was media night. And frequently that just produces... A lot of nonsense, but actually there were some interesting things said at media night last night. Let's start with Patrick Mahomes. He's 28 years old, and he hears all the conversation around him of his being on track to be the greatest of all time. But when Mahomes was asked, he said this. I mean, I'm not even close to halfway, so uh, I haven't put a lot of thought into it. I mean, your goal is to be the best player that you can be. Um, And uh, I know I'm blessed to be around a lot of great players around me. Um, and so right now, it's doing whatever I can to beat a great 49ers team and trying to get that third ring. And then if you ask me that question in like 15 years, and I'll see if I can get close to seven. But seven seems like a long ways away still. 
So there were two things that jumped out at me about that. The first of them is that he just essentially suggested he plans to play 15 more years, which is great news for all the rest of us. Having a good time. The other is, Jeff, and you, you were around this, you were at Super Bowl media days and all that. If you were to have written out, what would oh. be the perfect answer to that question for Patrick Mahomes to give, that would have been it. 100%. But when doesn't he give the perfect answer? <laughs> I mean, that, that's the reality, right? Is this guy, if you're a teammate of his and you hear the way he answers just about every question, you go, that's my dude. I want to go play for him. I want to go win with him. He's the type of leader I want to be around because he turns everything back on himself. He lessens the pressure for those around him. And you just appreciate it. And here's the great part about it. it, it the, the argument of legacy is going to be argued with all of us anyway. All he can go do is go play. Go win the one that you can go win right now and then keep stacking those chips. And hopefully at the end, we can really have a, a conversation about it. You know, I'm going to make Julian Goldstick, our producer, mad at me because I'm going to change where we were otherwise going to go. But you made me think in our first hour, Lewis, we talked a lot about the traits yeah. that the great quarterbacks have, some of which are very difficult to identify going in. But the reality is people look at Patrick Mahomes and they see the off-target throws. They see his ability to run. They see all these things and they assume that's what makes him great. But the truth is... This stuff that we're talking Absolutely. about, Lewis, the stuff that isn't as easy to identify, maybe impossible in the draft process, his ability to lead, his ability to handle adversity, his ability to, to, to keep the, the real thing the real thing when, when it, the moments like this happen at the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's what makes him arguably as good as anybody we've ever seen. There's no question about it. It's that subjective part of the equation, of the analysis. That quite honestly, look, front offices wrestle with every single year, trying to find out about the authentic individual. Who is he really? Who is he really when I'm not watching him? Who is he really when he's already achieved some measure of success? Will mm -hmm. he continue to kind of work like he's a day oneer, like he just is walking in the building? And I'll tell you this. Brett Veach, the general manager of the Chiefs, who I've known for a long time, he is a great friend, a great friend. He went to bat for Patrick Mahomes. He told Andy Reid, not only is this guy special in terms of the things that he can do throwing the football, but this is the kind of guy we want in our organization to sit behind Alex Smith, learn how to become a professional in terms of what the week looks like, how to prepare and whatnot, so he can, from a, from a, like a self-managerial standpoint, get his process in place, but he has it all. He really believed that Patrick Mahomes had not only the on-the-field ability, but the right kind of wiring. And that, that's what it's always about with, with these yeah. guys. That's what always separates the special ones from the ones who are good, from the ones who are average, from the ones who are backups, from the ones who can only get on training camp rosters. A lot yeah. of times, it's here. It's here. If you want uncommon success, Jeff knows it requires uncommon sacrifice. That's right. Patrick is willing to make the uncommon sacrifices, even though he's going to make half a billion dollars, which is still <laughs> right. a bargain. Still a bargain. I, th I think that's the thing, right? Like he's focused on like the question about Tom Brady, the way that lands in his brain is, well, that's silly. I haven't done it yet. Like, I, have, I still have to do mm -hmm. a lot of stuff in order to be in that conversation. Like, I go mm -hmm. back to, like, if you, had, if you had told the teenage Mets fan that I was in the 1980s that Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden weren't going to be in the Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. I would have thought you were being ridiculous, right? I mean, because they were, they were doing things at a level that, that we'd never seen. They didn't, they didn't do it. They didn't keep at it. And Patrick Mahomes seems to have an appreciation for... Mm. 
I've got to continue to do this. I've got to continue every single offseason to find ways That's to get right. better to make sure that I can do what Tom Brady did. Who, by the way, one of his Super Bowl loss was to Tom Brady. So yes, I got yes. to uh, So I, he has an, uh, an up-close appreciation for for what that all means and the work that goes into it. And, and I think when you think about what yeah. his upbringing, right, around a professional baseball player, all those kinds of conversations that you have and that you see is you do realize it's what have you done for me lately. Now think about this. Kelsey's going to be gone. Andy Reid mm-hmm. might be gone, right, in a couple of, Like there's a lot of change that happens in the NFL. What made Brady so special is that he left one place, went to another place, and goes away. So how, what's the continuity for, for he? Mahomes is smart enough to realize this ain't all going to stay the same. There's going to be change, but the ones that you can get mm-hmm. are right now. Let me go seek my opportunity yep. and take advantage of the opportunity. And when you look at the way he reacted yep. to Tyreek Hill being gone, right? Yes. Go back to that offseason, that training camp. And I remember going to that training camp and talking to him and talking to Andy Reid about what would be different. And I remember Andy Reid telling me, I think this is going to be good for yeah. Patrick because he's going to have to elevate a little bit as, yeah, as a quarterback, right. as a leader, develop in ways that, you know, that, that, that if everything always stayed the same, he wouldn't have. So that seems to have come to fruition. Can we talk about leadership just for one second, yeah. too? Let me, let me know, just I'll, say this about his leadership. From this year, when, all, when the receivers were dropping and he overthrows MVS in the end zone and it goes through his hands. And the first, his response that we all mocked, by the way, was, I should have taken a little bit off of that throw. And what does he do? Right here. Fast forward to the AFC Championship game. He takes a little bit off. And, and MVS makes the catch, and they solidify another trip to the Super Bowl. But what's, what's crazy to me is he didn't blast his receivers like we were all doing. He took it on himself and said, hey, I'm going to do this. You don't think MVS wanted to catch that ball for that dude? A hundred out of a – the dude would – I mean, he would do anything in the world to make that catch because his guy didn't dress him down when he had the opportunity. That – is leadership. That's what translates in a locker room, and I just appreciate it from a player perspective. I'm, Lewis, I'm just thinking about the first quarterback MVS played with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, go. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, the, the, the kind of building a little bit off of what Dan was, was alluding to, you know, Tom Brady had the benefit of, for the better part of two decades, having a system in place that didn't change. A lot of the things changed around him, but Bill was a constant mm. throughout his mm-hmm. entire career. If Patrick wants to play 11, 15 more years, whatever it is, Andy ain't going to be around all that time. Right. He's just not. And so the thing is, like, for Patrick, the mountain that he has to climb may require even more than he's already given. If he wants to truly reach, you know, that kind of immortal status, that one of the titans of the game status that he's after, which is so damn cool to sit here and be a part of and watch this unfold. Because he may have to start over. Yep. He may have to start over with, you know, a totally different team, just like Tom Brady did, but a structure around him that doesn't involve Andy Reid. And let me tell you something. Andy Reid is one of those types of guys who, when you're around him and you're standing next to him and you're talking to him about football or you're on a headset like I was, had the good fortune of being on the headset with him during games in Philadelphia, he is such a – when you talk about a guy who kind of elevates the performance of other people around him as a coach, his calmness, his demeanor, his – being on top of everything that's happening, especially from an offensive perspective, you cannot really measure how beneficial that is to Patrick. Mm-hmm. You can't. And he's not going to have that later on in his career. So we may not have even seen the very best of what Patrick has to offer yet, but we will. It's an important point because while it has become very fashionable 
I think largely amongst people who have no idea what they're talking about, to diminish the impact that Bill Belichick had oh, on you. Tom Brady. The reality is Brady made 90% of his Super Bowls and won 85% of them with one coach. That's right. With Bill Belichick as his coach. Yep. So I don't know how long mm -hmm. Andy Reid is going to coach. That's right. Uh, hopefully, for everyone's sake, a lot longer. Because that, that combination is the Belichick and Brady yes. of this generation. In the meantime, let's talk about what might be the next great one. Caleb Williams. Will he soon be in command in Washington instead of Chicago? You need to hear what his former coach has to say about it, and you will. Plus, the Purdy Party rolls into Vegas. You will hear what he says about everyone who wants to downplay his performance. You will as we go on. It's Get Up on ESPN. Come on, get up. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Delicious, meat nutritious, and the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is, not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Back on Get Up, time for DraftKings Sportsbook Predictions, brought to you by DraftKings. Another game of more or less, and it's Graziano, it's Travis Kelsey. Will he have more or fewer than 69 and a half receiving yards? I got to go with more. We've been talking about it. He's the number one option for them in the passing game. I think, you know, the Niners present some challenges because the strength of their defense is that that linebacker group, but we've seen them get him open on screen. I, 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 think, he'll, I think he'll go over this number. Yeah, Lewis, let's talk about his quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, more or less 261 and a half passing yards. Yeah, I think he'll go over that. I think, look, I think historically, Patrick Mahomes has chewed up San Francisco through the air in the two games, I believe, during the regular season that he has played against them. He has been someone who has really been able to hit them in the deep part of the field. I think the cornerback position, you know, will be a position where he'll try and get after outside, you know, uh, opposite Traverius Ward. And he will really try to make sure that he exploits this football team outside the numbers with some of his unique throwing ability. I think you will see him have a big game. And then, Jeff, his counterpart is Brock Purdy. More or less, here's a number, 12 and a half rushing yards. I'm going more here. I think he's going he's gonna to have to extend drives with his legs. And you saw it happen in Green Bay. You see it happen in, in Detroit last week or two weeks ago. It's going to be important for them. And part of the reason is, 
extending drives keeps Patrick Mahomes off the field. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be just as vital because you just heard explosive plays that both Graz and and, uh, Lewis are are saying are going to happen. Man, you better keep that thing in your hand as much as possible. And those first downs can sometimes be as important uh, as any other play in football. Look, that play we were just showing you was the biggest play of the game. Absolutely. It was the single biggest play of the game that led them to this Super Bowl. But despite, Mm -hmm. as you well know, taking these 49ers to the Super Bowl – the label of being a system quarterback still <laughs> sticks to Brock Purdy, but to him, he likes it. I laugh and, and sort of joke around with it, but um, more than anything, it's sort of a compliment just in terms of you get to go into a system and you do you, and you play within the system really well because there's not a lot of quarterbacks that can. You know, like, yeah, people can say what they want, but at the end of the day, man, I think it comes down to winning. And if you can do your job well in the system and, and win, I think, you can, I think you're doing it well. So, Lewis, I want to start with you on this. We spoke about Brock Purdy earlier, and it's fascinating that a person who strikes me as the least polarizing human being in the world has become such a polarizing figure in the sport. But putting that to the side for a moment, the question on the screen, I think, is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. The success of Brock Purdy, will it change the way teams evaluate quarterbacks leading into the draft? No, it won't because, like I said, the draft is an exercise in risk management, and it's Preach. risky to take a guy like Brock, like Brock Purdy too high in the event that he doesn't work out. Your rear end's going to be on the line. You're probably going to get fired because people are going to go, well, why'd you take him up there in the first place? Because the, the chances of him failing, given what his physical traits were, were much greater than, say, a guy like Justin Herbert, right? Given everything that Brock Purdy has done in his career right now, this season in particular, right, he had one of the best seasons that we have seen in recent memory in all meaningful metrics this year. I would probably, I would venture to say if we had a call in, if you opened up the phone lines and asked anyone from people who are working in the league to people who are just walking outside there on the street at Pier 17, and you said, who would you rather have, Justin Herbert or Brock Purdy? They'd be like, Justin Herbert. Justin <laughs> Herbert, why is that? Mm-hmm. Because he's 6'5", he can throw the football a mile. Have you seen how good he looks? Have you seen, like, all of his upside, upside, upside? He just needs more upside, upside. That's what they would – but you would sit there and you go, but what about Brock's efficiency? What about Brock's tight window throws? What about Brock's timing and accuracy? And what about Brock's scramble ability that he showed? Yeah, but have you seen Justin Herbert? (laughs) Have you seen how good he looks? And you know what? And you know what? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, disparaging Justin Herbert because he's a fantastic player who's probably going to go off this year. He's probably going to absolutely go off with Coach Harbaugh. But at the end of the day, right? When we talk, when I talked about this when I was up there just a couple weeks ago, we judge quarterbacks fairly or unfairly by winning. So if he wins and he beats the greatest quarterback of our time, quote unquote, in this Super Bowl. How much are we going to twist ourselves up to try and discredit what he does? Or are we going to just say, hey, you know what? It's about efficiency and it's about winning football games. I think I know where that, that conversation is going to go, and it's unfortunate. It's, it's, there's a couple of different pieces to yeah. this that I think are interesting. So one of them is, to the point Lewis just made, the way I've always phrased it is, general managers and I think coaches in the NFL, too, with a lot of decisions they make in games – they always make the decision, or frequently make the decision, that will be easier to explain if it fails. Basically, the one less likely to get me Mm -hmm. fired if it fails. That's why they are so averse Mm -hmm. to risk. The second piece, though, I think there is one way in which the answer to that is yes. I think one of the things we are going to see more and more of 
is that teams are going to take quarterbacks who have played a lot in college. Sure. Yeah. The whole thing about taking guys who have played started for one season. Look, Anthony Richardson only had, I think, 12 starts in college. Mitchell Trubisky had 13, I think. Mark Sanchez started one season. I think a guy like Brock Purdy, <clears throat> who was a, 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 a Trey Lance barely played in college. Right. Part of that wasn't his fault. That, I think, is, an, that, that is one area, Jeff, where I think teams will lean towards looking at experience when they're drafting yeah, I, mean, I think that's the whole Bill Parcells conversation yep. from many years ago, where he was, you know, 30 starts. Yeah, 30 starts. How successful were they in these 30 starts and making sure that matters. But, you know, th- this conversation has frustrated me throughout the season about you want to discredit a guy because of where he was drafted, right? He's Mr. Irrelevant. But look at the final four QBs, right? You have Golf, who's a retread, right? Nobody won him. Lamar is the last pick of the first round. Um, and Mahomes sat a year before he played, right? By, by, so behind Alex Smith. But because of what Purdy's done, we want to limit. If he was a first-round pick, you can't tell me that this guy would not have been more in the MVP conversation the entirety of the season because of what he had done, the numbers he was putting up. Oh, well, watch the tape. Okay, watch the tape. Watch the tape of every quarterback. Do you get the benefit sometimes? Do you get the – but at the end of the day, all the guy has done was put the 49ers in positions to win. And if you look at Shanahan's offense, oh, Shanahan's offense makes everybody look good. Okay, well, let's, let's take this. They, they were over when they were down by seven or more in the fourth quarter. He puts a drive together against Green Bay and wins it. They're down to Detroit by, what, 17 or whatever it was. He brings this team back and gets the win. He's doing things in the offense that no one else has done. So why can't we give credit to the kid and go, he's freaking bald this season, and it doesn't have to be a legacy dictator, but he puts these together and you put them in a different conversation. Yeah, we can give all that credit. But to this question, right, about will, will it change the way teams evaluate quarterbacks in the draft, no, because, like, you don't have to take a player with Brock Purdy's intangibles and his physical uh, profile in the first round. You don't have to because you can get him in the later rounds. Now, it may be that this underlines for teams the importance of, hey, make sure you get a guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth round just in case, right? But teams are already doing that. You already see on day three, you see quarterbacks go in those rounds, uh, and that's, in fact, what happened with Purdy. But, yeah, I think it's the ultimate example of, like, look, they, the 49ers went all in to draft Trey Lance number three, uh, and it didn't work out. But fortunately for them, they covered their bases with a very late-round pick that turned out to be better, I think, than they or anybody else could have possibly expected. So it may just underline the importance of cover your bases in the later rounds and don't underrate college football experience uh, and, and its value. But I do not think, as to Lewis's point, it is not going to make a guy that looks like Brock Purdy <laughs> yeah. go ahead of a guy that looks like Justin Herbert. Quick final not. word, Lewis. Go. You know what, though? You know what? You know what, though? Here, here's the thing, and I wish we had more time to talk about this, and that is like last year's debate, right, between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. Because C.J. Stroud, I saw them both play. I saw them both throw up close and personal, up close and personal. And from a body type um, uh, perspective, C.J. Stroud looked like the prototype NFL yeah. quarterback. Yeah. Bryce Young did not. But still, you had most people arguing me down saying – how could you say that C.J. Stroud is better than Bryce Young? Because then the goalpost was, goalpost was moved over here. Well, you know what? C.J. had all those weapons at Ohio State. I said, mm. but wait a minute. I thought he looks the part. He looks much more the part than Bryce Young, but he had all those weapons and Ohio State quarterbacks that are no good. It's an interesting discussion, man. 
Yeah. I have to leave it at that mm. for the moment. Obviously, this is something we can talk about right up until April. In the meantime, DraftKings Sportsbook's an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And for Super Bowl 58, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the app. Use the code GETUP when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. Coming up, why the presumptive number one has more control over his future than you think. Mm. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Bottom of the hour on Get Up. Before we go any farther, Eli Manning, get us going. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? Go ahead, Ephesians. I'm Eli Manning. I'm nice. Tom Brady's the GOAT. Sight! I beat him twice! Twice. My favorite part of that, and Chris Canty joins us, and we wanted to show him that because you played with Eli. Absolutely. Hold Me Back is incredibly funny. And so, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Did you know he was this funny when he played? Yes. Everybody in the locker room knew this funny, but especially the offensive linemen because he's closest to those guys. But everybody knew that Eli Manning had that side of him. He's very buttoned up in front of the cameras, post-game interviews, public appearances. But he's got that prankster side of him. That, that is who easy is. Yeah, that's the Manning brothers in general. Just, just, just realize whether it's Peyton, whether it's Coop, who's the funniest of all of them, or the baby Eli. Eli get away with anything. Yeah, anything yeah, he yeah. wants to do, that dude's been breaking the rules his whole life and loves it. They have a good time, for sure. Yeah, like it's, it's dry, right? Like, it, like he'd be in front of a group of us talking, doing an interview, and he'd just throw one little thing in. Yeah. He'd kind of look to the side, see if anybody picked it up. Yeah, right? it's, like, the, yeah. it's the deadpan variety, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Good for Eli. Keep making mm-hmm. us laugh. I like it. In the meantime, our nation's capital is our next stop. Yesterday, Dan Quinn was introduced as the head coach of the Commanders. And, of course, joining him on his staff will be Cliff Kingsbury, who will be the offensive coordinator. It's a hire that raised, among others, the antenna of our Adam Schefter, who tweeted the following about Kingsbury. Let the speculation begin. Cliff Kingsbury coached Caleb Williams last season. Williams was a standout quarterback at Gonzaga High School in Washington, D.C., The Commanders currently hold the number two overall pick and are in striking distance of the number one pick that belongs to Chicago. So Shefty is connecting dots. Others might look at this. This was Caleb Williams himself posting his congratulations. Plausible deniability. He's his dog, but he is wearing a Washington Commanders shirt as opposed to a USC shirt. And then there was USC's coach Lincoln Riley yesterday with McAfee saying teams are reaching out to him. We've talked to quite a few already. Uh, I, I think, you know, people see the talent on the field. I think they're wanting to know about the guy, you know, in the meeting room. They're wanting to know about the guy in the locker room, the type of leader he is. It would be awesome to see him reunite with Cliff, certainly in, in Washington. But we know there's a lot of things out of control and a lot of things that will uh, transpire between now and then. 
Right, so there's a lot of pieces to this, and we've been talking about it, Lewis, with excellent insight earlier this morning into the evaluations and everything else. But at the end of the day, Chris, here's my question. If you're Caleb Williams, knowing what we know right this minute, and he probably knows other things, is he better off going to Chicago or Washington? I would say he's better off going to Washington, and it's because of the stability around the head coach. Matt Eberflus did a Herculean task by saving his job at the end of last season, winning five of his final eight. But this is a guy that's been on the hot seat for the last couple of months of the regular season. And in effect, Caleb Williams would be walking into a situation with his coach potentially on the hot seat and getting fired relatively early into his NFL career. So if you're Caleb, the decision that you're making right now and where you go is a $300 million decision. That's what's at stake. Not when we're talking about just the rookie contract, but the second contract. If you prove that you can play over the first three years of your contract, then they're going to give you that kind of deal. That's what we're seeing from starting quarterbacks. They're making upwards of $50 million a year. So if you're Caleb Williams, those are the stakes. Why would you not put yourself in a situation where you have more stability around the head coaching spot, where you've got familiarity with the offensive well, coordinator because yeah. he was your quarterback coach? And, oh, by the way, there is some proof of concept <laughs> with Cliff Kingsbury because he coached Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, and Baker Mayfield. So it just feels like when you connect all of the dots – Washington would be a much more comfortable situation for Caleb as opposed to Chicago. I'm 100% with you. By the way, the Bears have had two number one pick mm. quarterbacks in the last few years that had lame duck coaches that they got fired after their rookie seasons. So the history is there of the Bears yep. getting this wrong, and here they are getting it wrong again. So now let's go to a world, and it's important to point out, Caleb Williams has not said publicly he doesn't want to go to Chicago. None of that has happened. But, Lewis, let's live in a world where you're Ryan Poles. You're the general manager of the Bears. And you get signals from Caleb Williams mm -hmm. or his family or whomever else that he doesn't want to come to your team. He wants to go to Washington. What do you do? Look, I, I'm, I'm, look I'm, I'm not letting the player dictate to me whether or not I'm going to sit there and go ahead and move off of that pick if I feel as though ultimately – He's someone who really does fit what we're trying to do. I'm, I, it would take it would take a lot in order for me to move out of that pick because we're saying that this guy is going to dictate to us that he doesn't want to play here, unless he's really you know going to make good on that kind of threat. Because look, I, I'll tell you this, and, and I, I would be look. I know Caleb Williams is making a lot of money in college. I mean, I don't know exactly what he's making, but I know obviously he's probably not hurting financially right now. But I'd have a hard time believing that he would be willing to go ahead and sit out and not play an entire year of football because he simply thought, his, thought that Chicago was not a place that would really suit him in terms of what his career aspirations were. So if I'm Ryan Poles, I'm, look, I'm playing one of those long, long games of staring you down going, you really want to do that? Mm -hmm. You really want to sit out? You really think you're going to force me off of this pick right now in a, in a time where I don't want to and we think that he, you are good for us? That would be one of those things, man. Like, and, and look, I, I caution people to say, hey, look, he's just going to dictate what the Bears do. He is not dictating what the Bears nope. do. Ryan Poles and the Chicago Bears organization will dictate where Caleb Williams goes. They are in control in this situation, and you will see that play itself out over the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, the reason that we remember John Elway and Eli Manning doing that is that so few people have done it. So we remember the instances. Dan, what are the streets mm -hmm. saying, if you will, 
about this situation. Yeah, look, we're 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 in a hypothetical realm, right? Like that, like that's the thing. So I, I think Ryan Poles very deliberate. Went through this last year, right? The decision on do we keep Justin Fields and trade the number one pick, or do we make the pick and trade Justin Fields? And obviously, we know what they decided last year. We don't know what they're going to decide this year. It's possible they don't know yet because we haven't gotten to the combine and had those face-to-face mm-hmm. conversations that sometimes lead to deals that you might not have expected, right? This time last year, they were talking to. I think it was the Raiders and other teams that were picking earlier in the top 10 than Carolina was. Carolina was at nine, uh, and, and that was further down than they were in their minds wanting to move. But then all of a sudden, DJ Moore is in the deal, which you didn't expect, and that makes it look a little more enticing. So I think to Ryan Poles' credit, mm-hmm. he knows the value of his assets, those assets being the one pick and Justin Fields, uh, and he knows how to assess that value and make the best possible decision. So I think that process is still going on. But again... If the Chicago Bears think Caleb Williams is a transformational quarterback prospect that will change everything for their franchise, then I believe that they will pick him. And if he can make, the, if he can make it so that they don't want to pick mm-hmm. him anymore by saying he doesn't want to play there, then that throws everything uh, into turmoil. But we have not seen it pulled off in 20 years since Eli Manning. Yeah, you did. can't make that happen. I mean, not, not, if, not if what everybody's saying about his draftability is what it is. If you're the Bears, you make him say no. You make him sit mm-hmm. out. You make him do all those things. Uh, and you have Justin Fields on your roster that if he does do that, you can sit and wait, right? Because you can fit. You, you got the fifth year and you got France. So you got a lot of, you got a lot that you can do that you hold as well in the cards. But, you know, from, from my perspective, I would 100% agree with what CC just said. Like, Washington, if you were going to pick, would be where you would want to go because of what you've seen, the failures in Chicago, of lame duck coaches going in with a quarterback and those kind of things. That's the part that doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies if you're the player. Is I've seen this work out for Justin Fields. I saw this work out for Mitch Trubisky. Like, what am, am I going to be another one of those names? Because they go away pretty quick. As loud as they come in the league, they go out really quickly. <laughs> yeah. That's a scary place to be. I'm just telling you, from a player, because like you said, it's $300 million. That ain't where you want to be. You don't want to go out like that. Yeah, you don't want to be caught up in this cycle of dysfunction that has been the Chicago exactly. Bears, the Cade McNowns, and, and the Mitch Trubisky's, right. and the Justin Fields. Like, you know, Rex Grossman. You don't want to get lost in the sauce. Right. They're still holding on to Jim McMahon and Sid Luckman in Chicago. Amen. So they got to they gotta figure this out. They got to get this right. But I, I think the most important thing is the Chicago Bears making sure that Caleb Williams is comfortable with the situation. Right. That's right. Right, because as they're going through the process of vetting all of these quarterbacks, Caleb Williams is going through the process of vetting these teams. And I go back to what his dad, Carl Williams, said before the draft and last fall in his GQ article about the comfort that they need to have moving forward with the franchise because of the stakes for Caleb Williams coming into the NFL. So I would just push back a little bit on what Lewis said. Even though Chicago is in control of the process, they do have the number one pick. They need to make sure Caleb Williams is comfortable coming to play ball for that franchise. Because the last thing you want is to take a guy with the number one overall pick and for that guy to never play for you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Lewis, go ahead. What do you think? No. No, no doubt. No, no, no doubt. Look, it, it's a relationship that goes two ways. I mean, that's the very definition of it. You don't want a guy, you know, really trying to play a high-stakes game of chicken with you and sitting out all year long and saying, hey, look, right. I am so against playing for your organization. I feel that you're so dysfunctional that I'm willing to sit out or acquiesce and coming in and then sitting there going, why the hell did I even come in here? And he becomes a problem. You, Of course you don't want that. You want to try and make it something where he believes it's beneficial for him to go. I'm just saying... Chicago still does hold the cards here. They Mm -hmm. still can force his hand and make him do something that is very, very rare. 
at this point, the first pick in the draft is an enormously valuable asset. Sure. They have to figure out the best way to maximize yeah. use of it. I have to let Chris go keep you here all day. Unsportsmanlike, every weekday morning, coast to coast on ESPN Radio, you're the man. Meantime, as we continue, our ESPN NBA Wednesday doubleheader starts in Philly tonight with Steph and the Warriors. Excuse me, tomorrow night. Steph and the Warriors against the Sixers at 730 Eastern. Then out West, Kawhi and the Clippers hosting Zion and the Pelicans. Start your night with NBA Countdown, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Coming up, Montana, Rice, Davis, Brady, all Super Bowl legends. Which one had the best performance in Super Bowl history? The definitive answer in the green list is coming up next. And speaking of definitive answers, here we go, Graziano. These 49ers would become the seventh Super Bowl champion that had a 1,000-yard rusher and two 1,000-yard receivers. What was the first team... With that, the answer's next. Super Bowl question. Give away. Give away, Himbo. Everybody loves it. Sneaky Hembo for Graziano. Here we go. So the 49ers of this season have a 1,000-yard rusher mm-hmm. and two 1,000-yard receivers. Yeah. If they win, they would be the seventh Super Bowl champion to have that configuration of players. Which was the first? We need the team and the year. That number seven is throwing me off because I can't believe it's that many, right? So I I know a team that did it a long time ago, and I can't, I don't know if they're the first, but they might be. So that's going to be my guess. The, The 1989 49ers with Roger Craig and John Taylor and Jerry Rice definitely did this. And they won the Super Bowl, which was Super Bowl 24, I think, at that point. Well, except that 89 That is here. my guess. 89-49ers. It's right. Yeah, oh, baby! That's right! That's unbelievable. You're done, bro. Look at Hembo. He's You're leaving. You're owned, That is Hembo. a tough question. That is genuinely a tough one. Owned. My guess was the Steelers, mm-hmm. Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, and John Stallworth. That, that, that was what I – I always guess these before I look at the answer. seasons, though? Was yeah. That, yeah, so a little tougher to pull that off. Obviously, I'm wrong. Yeah. Here are the seven, by the way. Uh, it happened the most recent one. Colts. The most recent one to yeah. do it, Jeffrey, was the 06 Colts. They must have had a great center. Yes, they did. <laughs> Carried them through. Wow. Not sure if you were familiar with that team. <laughs> anyway, well done. Scoreboard, I mean, what can we say at this point? Oh, oh my At least next week it won't be Super Bowl stuff anymore. He's <laughs> got them. Well done. Okay. Uh, and all this week during the Super Bowl, by the way, I'm giving you my green lists. And so every day I will pick my top five, this, that, or the other, as voted on exclusively by me, the world's former most authority on all matters. Today's green list, the top five individual Super Bowl performances. Number five is one that nobody remembers. Did you know that in the Lynn Swan Super Bowl, as it is always remembered, L.C. Greenwood sacked Roger Staubach four times? That was Super Bowl X. Four sacks, still the most in any Super Bowl game in history. Swan won MVP of that game, but I'm not sure how you could play any better than L.C. Greenwood did. At number four, John Riggins. He ran for 166 yards, including a 43-yard go-ahead touchdown and a Super Bowl 17 win over the Dolphins. This is a season people don't think much about because it ended a strike-shortened year, but John Riggins played himself directly into the Hall of Fame with that performance that day, and it became the stuff of legend. Speaking of legendary running backs, Terrell Davis is next. He ran for 157 yards and three touchdowns 
In Super Bowl 32, as Denver upset the Packers, it's always to be remembered as the this one's for John game. You'll remember Elway and his helicopter run, but Davis was the MVP, and he is the reason that his team won that game. The single greatest individual performance is at number two. That's Jerry Rice. He caught 11 passes for 215 yards in Super Bowl 23, that win over the Bengals, that remains the all-time record, and it probably always will. That is the single best individual performance, but it isn't the greatest. The greatest was Tom Brady's performance in the 28-3 game, Super Bowl 51. I want you to think about where we were at halftime of that game. Brady had just thrown a pick six. Bill Belichick was thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo. Brady was at four Super Bowls and no more than that, He was lying in the dirt, and it was very possible that his career would never have ended with him being overwhelmingly considered the GOAT. Instead, he came back with the greatest second half and overtime that any quarterback could ever possibly have, won his fifth Super Bowl, which changed the math on everything, and began the second half of his career that turned him into the GOAT, the greatest player of all time. So as we bring everybody in here, they are the greatest Super Bowl performances. Jerry Rice at number two may have had the best, but the one that meant the most, the one that made Tom Brady the GOAT, mm. was the 28-3 game. That's what I think. Mm. I'm looking at the staring mm-hmm. faces back at me. I, you know, I, you I look like, like you had a problem with me, no, Graziano. No, 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 because the list always includes like, <laughs> the, the historical significance of the accomplishment. And, and yes, I mean, the 28-3 comeback, insane. Like, the, like it, it made no sense. The number of different things they had to pull off in order to come Correct. back and erase that deficit and just get it to overtime when they still might have lost on, on a coin Correct. flip. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, it's historic. I mean, you're right about mm. Rice being the – greatest individual performance right but did it have as much historical significance as that here's the god's honest truth jeff jerry rice would have been the greatest receiver of all time without that game sure that game made brady that was his fifth super bowl he was sitting there even with montana and bradshaw the world would not have said tom brady is the greatest quarterback of all time when he throws that pick six before halftime it's hard to remember it now but the general feeling was, wow, are we seeing the end of Tom Brady right before our eyes? Instead, he did this in the second that half should have been a and brought his team back. If that was Brock Purdy, we would have blasted. A that lot of things should have been, been a lot of things. Yeah. 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 makes a catch. That's unbelievable. You, know you should definitely not give him credit I, you know, for that one. Lewis, go. You know, no, I, you know what? I, I think what separates performances for sure, is when someone it's I, I've heard basketball coaches talk about this, and the same thing applies in football, is when you start off bad, when everything's going against you. We've all been in situations, whether it be sports, heck, what even when it's a, like it's a TV show, right? Or you're doing you're doing a show and it starts off bad. Sometimes it's hard to rally, man. It's hard to get your mindset back to a way where you're operating at peak efficiency. And then Tom Brady did this in the Super Bowl when yeah. they were getting shellacked. And I remember talking to Josh McDaniels about this, and I was like, what was the demeanor on the sideline, though? What was Bill like? How were you feeling? How were the players? And he said, you know what? Everybody, despite what people think, were still so calm because they felt if we would just do what we had prepared to do, we'll pull this game out. We'll start making some plays. And then there were certain things, if you remember, that they started going to in the passing game that just continued to work. And he said Tom never lost his cool in that football game. Which really does, like, how do you not lose your cool when you're down 28 to 3? Yeah. I mean, how are you not all of a sudden coming apart at the seams going, dude, I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it on the biggest stage. 
with hundreds of millions of people watching me. And he was just as cool as ever. So there's no doubt it's, it's what was at stake and what he had to recover from that really separates it for me. Yeah. I, I, listen, I think from a team perspective, I would say that would probably be the most monumental, but not individual. I, Terrell Davis, for me, was – it's set up – for a historical balance, Shanahan, right? This team was this team was 11-point underdogs, right? 11-point. Yeah. The, the Packers had given up 17 points in their two playoff games before. Terrell Davis – I don't even think he played in, this, in, in the second quarter because of a migraine, or he missed some time because of that. And you gave him his numbers, what yeah. he rushed for, the three touchdowns. Elway, by the way, threw for 123 yards. Mm. So, like, when you say what won you the game, and now we think about offenses that are coming through, what what Denver did, how we copied them, all the different historic, you know, kind of plays that come from that, that, that was as good as it gets. And coming from a running back to dominate the way he did, that was just absolutely incredible. I just think Lewis's point is the, is the one that wins mm-hmm. this because – Tom Brady's role in making sure they were able to come back and win that game. Like, not just his performance on the field, but everything about being Tom Brady in that moment and, and, and keeping everybody cool and, and believing they could. I just don't think Y'all that love can some movies. The, dr- the drama that you guys put on I, that are that just... That game was a movie. Here's that, the reality. That, <laughs> it, is so, it is just like, if, it, if this, I, I just, you I love it because of all the, the balls that shouldn't have gone their way, what their offense shouldn't have done for Atlanta, yeah. all those, but we're going to all give it to Tom Brady yeah. and what he did to elevate everybody. Yeah. Did he catch it or did Edelman catch it? If that it? game, was, if that game was a movie, you would have laughed it off. I, I, I would have. If that game was a movie, do you know what it would be called? It would be called The Night Tom Brady Became the Goat. That's what it would be called because that's what it was. History has to be written after the fact, and that is the history. That Going into that game, Tom Brady was not the goat yet. At halftime, his career looked like it might be over. You were right the off his career. He's the greatest player of all time. A lot of people were. He was old <laughs> at that time. Or we thought he was old at that yeah. time. Oh, well, he knew he was more until he was 45. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and look it up. You can read about it in a book that's coming out later <laughs> this year called Got Your Answers. Uh, uh, first take is coming up next. What's a better story, Mahomes winning his third or Purdy winning his first? Plus, can the Lakers make another post-trade deadline run? First take, top of the hour. College Hoops tonight on ESPN. We got number three, North Carolina, taking on Clemson. And then you'll see Baylor and Texas Tech. The action coming away tonight on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Before we run, big news from Woj. I'm just reading his Twitter as we speak. Joel Embiid underwent a left meniscus procedure today. He will be reevaluated in approximately four weeks. How that recovery goes will be paramount, but there continues to be a belief the door isn't closed on his return. We'll see. That conversation continues on First Take now.